You're listening to the Per Service Podcast, episode number four. Hello, and welcome to the Per Service Podcast. We are classical musicians talking about what life in the performing arts is really like. Twice a month, we publish a podcast about creating work and a career that you can be proud of, how to pay the bills in the meantime, and how much we hate it when someone asks us to play The Devil Went Down to Georgia. Because too many musicians go through the difficult and demanding grind of music school or years of lessons and find out, you know, this isn't what I thought it was going to be like. Or think, why didn't my teachers tell me what being a musician was really like? Well, that's why we're here. You might be asking, what's with the name, per service? Well, it's the terminology for how much a gig pays. We say a gig typically pays like maybe $95 per service, where each rehearsal or a concert is a service. But money doesn't have to be the only way to measure how good a gig is. It could be worthwhile because of the great repertoire, or because they put you up in a sweet hotel, or because there's this great Vietnamese joint across the street from the hall, or for many other reasons that don't get counted for in just the rate per service but also because a lot of us are just taking this one day at a time, one service at a time, if you will. Maybe you live for the gig, or maybe the lifestyle allows you to enjoy other things in life. Today, we're talking about pursuing your curiosities, because you may not know for sure if music is your passion or your life's devotion. Maybe it's just fun. This is the first of four episodes where we dig a little deeper into who we are, and today is my story. But your other co-hosts are, if we were musical eras, Anna Luce, she would be the Baroque era, highly decorative, and can improve any situation with a well-placed ornament. Christian Marshall, he'd be the classical period, structured, highly developed ideas, and refined presentation. Jessica Wiersma, she'd be the Romantic period, exploratory, passionate, and full of possibilities. And me, Michael O'Giblin, I'd be atonality, mathematically minded, with good intentions, but mostly misunderstood and unintelligible. Well, something like that. I'll be back at the end of this episode to cover anything you missed, and you can follow along with the show notes at perservice.co forward slash four, like the number. So let's get to it. I was, I don't know if I was texting all of you guys, but did you, were you guys watching the Super Bowl and saw Gustavo Dudamel? I didn't even notice him. Jess was like, oh, Dudamel. And I was like, look at all the He made like a couple of appearances. It was actually held the camera on him for a while. So, well, at the end, but I don't know. I read all, there was all these things on like the classical blogs about like, oh, this big feature, Gustavo Dudamel and, you know, El Sistema kids. And I was like, oh, that's going to be great. And then it was like half a second, like panning by him and he there he is like conducting the like pre-recorded track and i was just like what well, was not that? Only that but like the kids like didn't actually play like i thought they well, were gonna like make a solo appearance or something and yeah, they like were playing back up to, to the cold play viva la vida and i'm which, sure it was like I, piped I in that was cool though <gasps> i thought that was really like a big step for us i see both sides as like that is like an awesome you know, opportunity for those kids. And that would probably be the most inspiring concert. I mean, it's the biggest stage in the world. More people are watching the Super Bowl, you know, than any other televised event, whatever. So it's like, that's awesome. 
but then there's also this right. part of me that's like everybody knows they're not actually playing like even all the the musicians even you know chris martin it's all pre-recorded because there's no time to set up and sound check in a super bowl all this stuff right. and so it, everybody knows that it's all kind of just miming anyways so i think that was also what just made it funny for me was that there is gustavo dudema like conducting the like pre-recorded track and i was just like there was a really good blog post on like basically kind of like what you're saying like seriously like you put some kids with the tie-dye violins on stage and like that was our big break but then also it's like but maybe we have to make classical music cool like for the next generation if like it's going to continue i don't know it's interesting because it's kind of like this guy being like well actually i thought it kind of sucked but also maybe it was good yeah i think i think it's a great step forward personally I can recognize it being a good step forward for classical music if it gets kids interested in it. That's great. I don't know how it was for you guys, but I didn't get into classical music because I thought it was cool. I got into it because it it spoke to me. I heard it and it was like, this is what I'm going to do with my life. Or this is definitely, you know, it resonates inside of me somehow. So I don't think we should cheapen classical music by needing to make it cool. Um, it is what it is. I think it still has the power to attract people today, just like it did 30 years ago, 300 years ago. I do think we as classical musicians need to be smart and current about how we market it, how we get it out, how we, you know, make people aware of classical music. But, you know, I don't think that um, Mozart in the jungle oh, is what's going to like stir the hearts of people. I'll, yeah. Good point. Uh, on the flip side, though, the Gustavo Dudamel's line in the first episode of the second season of of Mozart in the Jungle was hilarious. Like, and that I think that was hilarious. But for example, I was just a while ago. I was in Miami. I know the conducting fellow of New World Symphony, and so Marie and I went to go watch a rehearsal. And um, there was a woman waiting, I guess, for an interview mm-hmm. of sorts, and. Um, she was waiting in the lobby and asked us where we were from. And Maria said she plays oboe. And she's like, oh, she goes, I don't really know much about orchestra, but uh, do you know Mozart in the Jungle? <laughs> and Maria's like, yeah, I've heard about it. She was like, yeah, like there's an oboist on that. She's like the main girl. Yeah. And I'm not sure what you're doing in this building or what you're interviewing for, but it was literally her main yeah. association with classical music was yeah. Mozart in the Jungle. Well, right. And that's, and it- you know, mixed feelings there because I almost went to filming for that because a group here in New York does it and the pay is not great and you have to be there for like 13 hours out in the blazing sun and be ready at 5 a.m. Uh, with two yeah. sets of outfits for options and makeup and hair done. I was like, eh. And so I think, you know, yeah. there are several factors that go into all of this stuff. First of all, with Dudamel, honestly, it wasn't about him. It was about the kids. And I think for the Super Bowl, you know, what's going to be accomplished by the by uh, everyone seeing those children with Coldplay? They're going to think, oh, Coldplay invited them, and that's really cool, if you know nothing prior. Uh-huh. And you're going to think, oh, maybe there are, like, thriving orchestra programs yeah. in the States. And I think that's great because th- they should have publicity for that. But I don't think it's going to make or break anything. True. I think it was yeah. a neat thing, but I don't think anyone really thought about it. You know, that doesn't know. And then uh, secondly, the Mozart in the Jungle situation, like Jess and I are in a text thread with a friend of mine who is musical theater. And one of her friends wrote her and was like, oh, my gosh, is that like what Anna's life is like? Um, (laughs) Mozart in the Jungle is like, is that what her life is? And I think that's kind of like, well, no, it's not because that's not real life for anyone that's a musician. 
So sure, it's like publicity, but is it good? Can't be sure yet. I, I think Christian, yeah, he made a great point, is that I don't think it's great that if kids saw that and were like, oh, I'm going to learn the violin because I want to play at the Super Bowl. It's like, <laughs> right. uh, exactly. um, uh, that's that's probably not going to happen. Maybe, but I mean, uh, it could, it could. What's it worth? It was, it's, a, it's a very once in a lifetime experience. So sh- should we officially start? Yeah, yeah. let's officially start. <laughs> All right. So I'm uh, talking today kind of mostly about trying different options and trying different interests and pursuing different curiosities and passions. And I think that's a big part of kind of my story is that when I was a junior in high school, there was, I feel like a lot of pressure that you have to decide that you want to either be a musician or you want to do something else. And there's kind of no going back once you decide. And that's really not my story. Kind of my whole past has been trying different things and, oh, it's a squirrel, you know, and like, oh, I'll try that and see, you know, see if, see if I want to do that. Yes. It's a fantastic well, movie. Yeah. If you know you're up. Because I really, I mean, I started violin at, at a young age. I mean, I started when I was like four and I kind of got dragged to Suzuki classes and stuff by my mom. And, you know, of course, I always wanted to play drums the whole time. I didn't really want to play violin. But then somewhere near, <laughs> you know, when I was 10 or 11, I started playing in youth orchestras and I started enjoying it more, but I still never, I, you know, I was never this wunderkinder. I, uh, is that how you say it, Christian? Is it? Wunderkind. Thanks, thanks for the correction. <laughs> okay. 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 okay no, no, I am, my life is officially better now that I know how to officially pronounce that word. Um, you know, I, and I was never like violin gung ho. I'm going to do this forever. You know, I, I was pretty good at math and so I liked puzzle solving and I liked engineering. And so I wanted to, I really wanted to double major at the University of Michigan and and do music and engineering. And, you know, I, I got into the engineering program, but actually I didn't get into the music program the first semester. It would have really killed me if I got into both because I just don't know how on earth you could have time for both. Wait, so you did engineering? I did actually one semester. I didn't yeah. know that. And actually, I yeah, know. I did... Your life is so interesting. Curious. And so that was sort of the thing. After doing one semester of it, I I quickly realized like, nope, this is not, (laughs) this is not. I mean, it it was just a a lot of just weeder classes. I was in these lectures with like 500 people of, you know, chemistry 101. And I was just like, oh man, this is rough. So that was at University of Michigan. You did one semester there as an engineer. Yeah. And then the next semester I got into the music school there and also at Carnegie Mellon. I met the the teacher that I studied with um, and I just, I think I, I have felt a stronger connection there. And so I eventually I transferred and did four full years at uh, Carnegie Mellon just doing music performance because after one semester of engineering, I was just a little bit like, I don't think that's for me. And I don't, it, the, the funny thing and kind of what I want to get into with you guys more is that every career sort of has this like something that's not very appealing about it i was listening to uh big magic by elizabeth gilbert the censored version and she talks about that every career has this like turd sandwich that you (laughs) that you gotta love because you're gonna deal with it at some point you gotta love eating that turd sandwich but it's real life but so sorry so she's saying that like every career has this thing that's like not so great yeah and you have to love the career enough to to deal with the turd sandwich? Yeah. To eat it. Got it. Not just deal Ta- with it. You have to eat yeah. it. 
Okay, sorry. To eat Absolutely. Ugh. Yeah, you got to like, eat it. And if somebody else doesn't want their turd sandwich, you, you're like, oh, can I have, can I, are you going to finish that? Because I, wa- oh, I wow. want it. It's like you have to. Okay, wow, this is intense. Yeah. Okay. It's it's a little. But is that, is that kind of the same thing as just like, you know, pushing past the pain, like that sort of thing, like being able to stick it out for the rough season or is it literally like one reoccurring aspect? It's probably not a new idea. I, I doubt this turd sandwich is a new idea. No. It's probably something no, we've heard it's before not. in another format. That's sort of even in our first episode that we talked about, like all the reasons why people get burnout from being a musician, because it could be that, you know, it just doesn't pay well or that there's a lot of commuting involved. Okay. So yeah. I think for me, like engineering was, there was just a lot of just, number crunching just a lot of like sitting doing like thinking about these hard problems and i don't know it wasn't quite creative enough i liked sort of the puzzliness of like solving things like that that's a but, word yeah sure definitely there was still things about being a musician that early on i didn't think i liked either like there was always i would go to a couple rehearsals and i don't know i just got some grumpy stand partners that really seemed to hate life and being a musician and I thought that's what if they were miserable then surely it meant that I was going to be miserable too like I was destined to become just like them Mm -hmm. and also like early on you're playing gigs that don't really pay that great that was sort of a big hurdle that I was like I don't know if being a musician when was this in your life I'm just like age wise like are you 12 or are you like no No, this was this was a more about after I finished my undergrad okay okay Okay. sorry Uh, that's what I thought. I kind of was starting to get out into the real world, and I was sort of just freelancing in Pittsburgh for a little while, playing Erie and um, you know the other McKee Sport, the other kind of local orchestras. And so, kind of like our, our conversation with you, that when you're in school, you're like finishing your undergrad degree. It's kind of assumed that like, okay, the next step is you just go to master's program, and so this is what you do: you just keep going to school. Because I was off a semester. Um, from like, I, I started school in January. Um, I, I played my, uh, and I, I think for some reason I played my, my senior recital kind of late, like actually in like January, February. And so I had, was like really crammed to prepare for master's auditions. And so I just bombed all of them. And so I didn't get accepted anywhere. And I was really kind of demoralized by that. But then I kind of took it as opportunity. I was just like, you know what? I've kind of been in school for a while. I was like, I really am not ready to just jump right back into another program. And so what I said I was going to do, I was like, I'm just going to go play on a cruise ship for a little while. So <laughs> I actually did that. I, I, I uh, had no idea really what I was getting into. And I was like, all right. And so I, fu- I got wow. a little quartet together originally with all people I knew. And they all kind of dropped wow. out one by one. And I replaced them with complete strangers. And it really amazingly worked out that we all got along and we played pretty well as a quartet. We had a six-month contract basically from that next fall from like October to like April or something like that. So that was a little different. But there were things about that that I really enjoyed but it really kind of didn't lead to anything else. It wasn't like gigging 
on land where eventually you start on, net you building you build land. a network on land. On, on land. <laughs> yeah, which is really how people talk. It's like there's either there's ship gigs or there's like the land gigs and they don't really <laughs> overlap at all. So you did a stint on a cruise ship before you went to your masters. Yeah. Oh. And actually the year after that, because it was still it was really hard to prepare for a master's audition while I was on the cruise ship mostly because I was very busy laying on the beach and drinking Mai Tais and, you know. Was, very uh, busy. <laughs> so, very, very, very busy. There's no I got, time. I got, I got priorities here, you know. I got to make sure I I spend, you know, as much time on the beach as I can. So practicing for auditions. So uh, the next summer I went back to a summer festival and actually they had an opening for an internship to do publicity and marketing. And that was something that was sort of interesting me and, and I liked doing computer work. I was sort of interested for some reason in, in doing that. And then I was very involved in kind of revamping their website and, and building more of a digital presence. And so there was, there were definitely some interests that I thought, okay, I'll try this and see if I like it and see if I can tolerate because, well, working in an office could be more financially lucrative than being a musician, which is kind of always a struggle. True. There's something to do that. However, doing an internship does not pay a whole lot of money. And so it's kind of the worst of both worlds that if you're working in office, usually the, <laughs> the pro is that you make money. And so um, I wasn't convinced that I could handle the turd sandwich of working in a cubicle and sort of... Christian's trying not to butt out laughing right now. It's really great. I, I, can't, I can look at Anna. Oh, wow. Hi, what am just, I doing? In the corner of her screen, like. <laughs> no, I'm not. Because I'm making some very <laughs> suspicious like, faces. I know, I know he laughs. I know I'm making him laugh. And then Jess is like eating up every word Michael says. <laughs> well, I'm Michael trying to, like, like, you know. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm trying to protect. You're very, very empathetic. Yeah. 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 I, I'm sorry. I, I'm the clown, I guess. Apologies. Oh, man. Yeah. Clown, for, clown your Yahoo status is on the. On the rise. Yeah. <laughs> Jess and I have been using the term. I give her full credit. It was all her. Uh, Yahoo. Like, don't be, don't be a Yahoo. But got a bunch Yahoo. of Yahoos in here. Don't, <laughs> yeah. Makes us sound geriatric, yeah. but whatever. <laughs> I don't know. It just came out. I think I was in like eighth grade and I had a teacher call me a Yahoo. She's like, you got you, you kids over there acting like a bunch of Yahoos. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's Jess and I now. We're in our my, that's my new thing. Like, just embracing my old age. It's fine. <laughs> okay, so yeah. your internship was really well, rewarding were, financially. No, not, and not rewarding financially, but <laughs> I mean, I knew that going in. And it was sort of, again, the sort of testing out different different careers and different possibilities. And while you were doing that, though, were you still playing? I was starting to get back into like actually practicing because it, it wasn't a very big time commitment. It was, I was only expected to work like 20 hours a week. And so I had more time to start practicing. And that's when I started getting more serious and realized like, okay, I need to go back and do school because this isn't a path that I want to continue on. And so at the, at the same time I um, had started dating uh, Angie uh, who we eventually okay. got married and decided to move to Nashville because I got into the master's program at Belmont university. Also, this was, kind of tailing off my experience on the cruise ship that I started to enjoy playing alternative styles. I would like a little bit of fiddling, some... I've never been sort of this like classical snob that I was like, I only play classical music and like jazz or fiddle is a lesser form of music and... 
cannot be understood. What is this so. gravelly voice? Also, <laughs> might I add, and I, I think I all know. three of us can attest to the fact that Michael will be modest because he is, but he's actually really freaking amazing at other forms of music. And I think oh, yes. just got to share like my favorite memory real quick. Is that okay? Of Michael and his alternative <laughs> yeah. music styles. Yeah. Uh, recently, we were going in the car to a friend's wedding and he's playing the ukulele and singing. <laughs> but my favorite memory is one Christmas time when we all get together and play this gig in Cleveland that we all love, Michael shows up at a Christmas party. We haven't seen him yet, but he comes to the door of, I think, people that he doesn't know and starts playing the accordion. <laughs> and it's beautiful music to everyone's ears. <laughs> I just love that he makes an entrance playing the accordion really well. You won't give yourself oh, enough awesome. credit, but I will. I think all of that your... was one of those. I think I had just gotten off the cruise ship and was very lost or like had a lot of time on my hands because I didn't have any gigs lined up. And I was just like, you know, what? I've always really kind mm. of liked the accordion and uh, I'm going to learn how to play the accordion. So I just like found this one on Craigslist for like 75 bucks and just like sat in my parents' basement <laughs> and just like practiced accordion for a long <laughs> I'm sure they love <laughs> they, were, they, were, that. they were really concerned about what I was doing with my life. <laughs> well, Michael's in the basement <laughs> practicing accordion. Didn't you also bring the bagpipes to Masterworks? That was uh, when I was at Carnegie Mellon. It's love the only that. school in the U.S. that you can major in bagpipe performance. Like you can be a music major with your primary instrument as bagpipes and you can get a degree in it. Um, and there are other schools like in, in Canada and, and uh you know, Scotland, of course, so but for the U.S., they're uh, supporting their Scottish heritage because it founded by Andrew Carnegie, which is how they say it there. Uh, if you ever, oh. if you go to Pittsburgh, they'll say, welcome to Carnegie Mellon. And you're like, what? What's it? Yeah. Really? Yeah. It is actually, Car I've heard a lot of people say that. And I'm yeah. Just like, yeah. Why are you saying it's Carnegie? Like that? Yeah. Because yeah. that's how, apparently that's how he liked his name mm -hmm. pronounced being very Scottish. Education. Yeah. So it's just a little mm -hmm. more trivia right there. That's the word. So some of that is, I think, also how we were talking about you don't have to define success how, you know, other people define it or how your teachers define it. And I had a very serious teacher that could not stand jazz or fiddle. Or it was it was just like, why waste your time doing that stuff? Like I could not even listen to it or couldn't take it seriously. I, I guess I was lucky enough that I didn't agree with that. I was like, no, I, I think I realized probably from playing it a little bit, dabbling in it, I wouldn't ever say that I was great at it, that improvising and playing fiddle and playing jazz, all these alternative styles is really difficult. Like you really have to dedicate just as much time to learning those styles as you do to classical music. Um, so I never really felt that same kind of classical music is the only way to go. And so I moved to Nashville wanting to try to experience a, a wide variety of music and, and kind of open myself up to possibilities of playing some fiddle and you know playing some classical and kind of keeping a variety of options available you didn't feel pressure from your um undergrad teacher to like pursue a specific like master's program like that's i mean that's cool if not i just or a path yeah. was he was he never saying like okay you really need to just do orchestra auditions or you need to get yourself back in academia like yeah. how did that well, some of it was, I think that push was probably there from him. 
And some of it was my own initiative. You know, I had classmates that were advancing at international competitions. Like I was roommates with two girls that were uh, semifinalists in the Queen Elizabeth and the Indianapolis Violin Competition. And so they, I was around this like incredibly high level of playing. And I just knew that I wasn't at that same level. And so for some reason, I think I sort of pigeonholed myself into thinking, I'm not sure that for sure being a, a soloist is going to work for me because I'm, you know, I could see a little bit that they had some ups and downs uh, taking auditions. And I was just like, well, gosh, if they're having trouble, you know, winning auditions, how on earth am I ever going to win a job? So I sort of just took it upon myself that I was like, I'm going to try to find something else that works that I enjoy doing as well. And I think I fell into that trap of comparing myself to my classmates because as I got into Nashville and and started doing some of the various kinds of gigs, I realized, you know, I still really like playing orchestra music and I still like going to orchestra rehearsals because they're usually pretty concise and the, the time commitment is usually pretty standard. Like, you know, rehearsal starts, you know, at 10 a.m. and as soon as 1230, like... When it's 1229 and it's like 56, 57, 58, as soon as it hits, you know, 1230, everybody stands up and, and we're done. And when I went to a couple of these like band gigs or touring, it was a little bit like, hey, um, so Loden starts at his noon and we'll get going and, um, you know, we'll just, uh, and so like, do you think we'll be done by five? You know, it's just hard to say. I think you, you probably just need to block out the whole day. I was like, we, for a, a rehearsal, like, Ooh. so there was, there was some of that also being newly married that being on the road and being gone for an extended period of time was, was kind of difficult. And so I started to kind of appreciate more of the classical gigs or, or at least the classical kind of background gigs where you had to uh, show up and sight read music for primarily I'm talking about like recording sessions where they still follow the same sort of like 10 to one or two to five. You could kind of schedule other things if you had to teach a lesson at 5:30 you could be you knew for sure mm-hmm. that rehearsal or that the recording session was going to be done at 5. So, all that to say, I don't know. I I never felt like if I don't really like playing music that I'm stuck here. There's always sort of other other things that you could pursue. And yet, when I did pursue these other lines of work, I never was really fully satisfied and it made looking at the turd sandwich of being a musician and I realized, you know, that's a that's something I can live with. The hardships were worth it. So besides your internship where you were doing some like website design, what other and I think you mentioned it in earlier episodes, but like what other lines of work that were non musical mm-hmm. did you yeah. dabble? Well, some of it I don't know if you would pre- consider it a career but you know for a while i worked for um the pottery barn and pottery barn had a little bit of a and and while that was still an entry-level job there were people that were very interested in, in sort of climbing that corporate ladder sure sure and uh and same with the cruise ship was also a very corporate structure i don't know i guess being in that line of work and seeing just this corporate mentality of this is what is expected and um, being a part of the machine, I think, was that sort of environment that I never felt comfortable in. I was just going to ask you, like, did it did it make you feel like you lost a bit of your autonomy, or did, was being a cog in a machine? Did you feel kind of constricted, or like there was more potential for you out there? Why was autonomy something you still wanted to pursue? Yeah, and th- I think that's that's a huge part of it. Is it was always hard for me to kind of just like 
you do this. Okay. And just kind of sort of, even if there were things that didn't make sense and you were still being told to do something. You're like, when I was on the cruise ship, there was this like, you play in this lounge from 6 p.m. till 11 p.m. And we'd go there at 6 p.m. and there'd be nobody in the room, you know, and we'd be like, okay, well, there's nobody here, so we're not going to play. Nope, you have to play from 6 p.m. to 11 p.m. Like, well, we're still docked, and so everybody's still out in Mexico. Like, they're not (laughs) in our lounge, so why... Yep. So can't can't we start at 8 when we leave and everybody's back on the ship? Nope. And so there was some of that, like, just blind rule following and, like, never really sat well for me. Some really great examples of, like, time well spent and efficiency (laughs) in corporate America. Don't don't you think, though, that... the three of you, correct me if I'm wrong, but don't you think that most of us who are musicians and raised in this lifestyle that have chosen this line of work and like are drawn to it, don't you think we all kind of reject that? Like if we're told you have rehearsal from 11 to 4 today mm-hmm. through a union gig and you're like, all right, because you're getting enough money, mm-hmm. you're getting breaks, you know it's over. Like you said, you stand up at 4 when it's over. Yep. I don't know. That was my experience anyway. But don't you guys think as musicians we're just like, I reject uh, blind rule following on principle. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I hate to interrupt, but right now we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors. Today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com where you can get a free audiobook download and 30 day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash per service. And I'll put that link in the show notes again. They have over 180,000 books to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And this is something that I really like to do while I'm driving to gigs or just driving around town, is you can listen to some great books in that otherwise dead time. Some of the great books for musicians are Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, the one I mentioned earlier, or The Inner Game of Tennis by Timothy Galway, or The Music Lesson by Victor Wooten. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash per service. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash per service for your free audiobook. Okay, let's get that back to my it. Experience anyway, but don't you guys think as musicians we're just like, I reject the uh, blind rule following on principle. <laughs> <laughs> Some of it I wonder is how much has to do with uh, nerd alert here. I was homeschooled. Me too. I, went, I started going to school in eighth grade and I did some public school and then private school. And uh, But I think a large part of my day as a homeschooler, I was also not a very studious homeschooler. I was very much like, I'm going to go play in the barn. And, and I was also barn? was like... Uh, <laughs> oh, you're sweet. The pottery barn. We lived in... The Christian lived in a barn. No, this was like an actual barn. We lived in Vermont for a little while, and we had like sheep and chickens and stuff. Yeah, man, I I totally want to give my parents credit. They, you know, wrote out maybe the assignments for the week. It was like these are what we expect you to do, and so I could pretty much like if I got them done, you know, really early, I could you know go play or whatever. Or if I didn't, I guess I was learning consequences all the way back then that if I goofed around all day and then, you know, I'd have to do all the work later at night or later on in the week and I didn't have to um I wouldn't have as much free time later so it was I guess I've always had a little bit of autonomy in choosing how I structure my day you were were brought up free range yeah (laughs) free free range Michael free range Michael that was not my homeschooling experience but it's interesting to hear about other people that's what I wonder is I don't know I don't think my experience was typical because I definitely saw 
other homeschoolers that were like, we wake up at 7 a.m. every day and we do all our homework and then we do our chores and then we make our mm-hmm. denim skirts. <laughs> Sorry. No, I'm uh, losing all our, our homeschooler contingency right here. Well, and Christian, you were homeschooled as well. I was. Until when? I forget. Until I went to Vanderbilt University. Wow. Oh my gosh. Seriously? I'm surrounded by homeschoolers. You were homeschooled forever as well. Except so for Greg. second. That's grade. why you guys are so weird. I know, right? Except for second grade. Yes. Second grade. Yeah. Okay, I, interesting. I went to high school. I I didn't really like eighth grade. I did high the opposite. School. Really? I went to school till fifth grade, and then and then wow. Oh, seriously? I didn't mm-hmm. realize that. Yeah. I wonder too. Again, another thought. Shoot me down. Feel free. But I think one thing when you're doing like professional gigs or even when you're in in college and like you are in orchestra, it's still technically a class period, right? So like, you know, when that's going to start and when it's going to end. It's not union, but like for the most part, if it ends at seven, you're out at seven. Okay. Uh We get so much done in a two and a half hour rehearsal period. Uh Like it is a concentrated time that stuff gets done. Yeah. And then when you go into things like corporate America, I don't know, I've worked in offices. I can't tell you how many times in the first two and a half hours of the day, like people still haven't started their work. Yeah. They're still like visiting with their cubicle neighbor, checking the email. Because I I, uh, worked at this one company and I I did it all through college and I did summers and and, uh, Christmas breaks. And like my first summer there, they hired me and like they gave me this job. Three weeks later, I came back because I had completed it. And they were like, what? You're done? We thought that would take you three months. And I was like, takes me three weeks if you do work. You know, and so like, I don't like wasting time in those types of situations. Mm. I feel like a lot of time is wasted. And I wonder if part of that is because growing up in this system where it's like, this is the time period you get stuff done in. And like, I think, I think that's the thing is like having more time doesn't necessarily increase productivity. Yeah. I think it's called RSA Animate. They're kind of, it's, um, I don't know if it's a company or business or just a team of graphic artists, but anyway, they take inspiring talks and sometimes it's TED Talks and stuff. And then they do these really cool drawings to them. So you kind of see the draw. Oh, yeah. I love I've seen some of those. Yeah, they're very cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's one about intrinsic and extrinsic motivation and, but there's one about what uh, it's really mm-hmm. interesting on money. And it's like if you offer someone $1,000 for a task, they might do it. And then if you offer them 10000 for the task, it usually decreases the quality of how well they're performing. They say if you, if you give someone too much pay for too little work, the quality of the work goes oh. down. Oh. Well, put some of those in the notes. Yeah. Fascinating. And, and I think it's the same thing sometimes with the amount of work we have to do and the amount of time. If you give me all the time in the world to get a task done, I'm probably going to take all the time in the world because there isn't a a framework set up that really kind of encourages autonomy or just gives any sort of impulse. If you look at Sweden, they just introduced not long ago a six-hour work day to improve productivity and make their employees and their country people happier. And I think that's really true. If you only have yeah. six hours to get all your work done, you're going to stand at the water cooler less. You're going to get right. take fewer coffee breaks. You're going to check your email less because you only have those six hours to do the work, but you have two hours more outside of the office. Mm-hmm. Right. 
So and you're and feeling that's true balanced. for practicing too, though. I mean, you exactly. can swing it on back around because I know so many people that mm-hmm. practiced for six to eight hours a day, which I totally did mm-hmm. in the summers at, you know, festivals and stuff when you're super motivated. Nice. But when right. it comes down to real life and real time practice, especially if you went to university and even afterwards, now I don't have this excuse. But as, as we've talked about, like concentrated practicing is everything. If you're given less time, you're far more productive. Yeah. Well, and I think this comes back to the whole autonomy thing. Like, I think maybe as a musician, there's something to be said for getting something done, like getting a lot of work done, and then you still have time to do whatever you want. Like, whether that is you go teach, you go practice some more, you go hang out with friends, you whatever. I think that is something maybe that we like getting stuff done. We're very driven folk, you know, (laughs) and like... So we like that, and then we still can do other things. I don't know. Yeah, I I think... That was a what was painful about band gigs or even some of them were just like playing with a church for like an Easter gig or something where all of a sudden you have this sort of this classical group. You have like a, a string section, but it's being run by the band guy and who's mm-hmm. just used to running like, like yeah. <laughs> and you're like, all right, let's let's run that again. And you're like, well, uh, what, uh, what are we doing this differently? Time we'll cue the fog machine earlier. <laughs> and you're like, all right, that's great. Let's just I think we just if we just do it two more times, then we'll have it. And we're like, yeah. what? Oh, what are we oh, like doing? Yeah. Like, what are we changing? Why are we doing this? And, yeah. and stuff like that just like yeah. just drive me nuts. You can get really into the minutia about it, even at like rehearsals when people are like, um, in measure 34 on the second beat, I have a G. Should it be an F? And you're like, oh my gosh, this is the biggest waste of time. And it's like, it's important still, but you're like, like, you should have asked that question at the break. Like you should have just taken your part up to the score and looked for yourself. And so sometimes I get, you know, really bent on a shame. I'm just, you're just like, like, whoa, this is. This is not necessary. Anger. And, then, and then I realized I'm becoming that that stand partner. <laughs> I'm like, I'm becoming that. <laughs> oh, guy. you mean the grumpy stand partner? Yeah, yeah. That's you, Michael. Yeah. Some, that's that's, I've, come, I've come full people, circle. I think of Michael. <laughs> but it's interesting. I was just thinking, since you, because now you've told us all of these different things you've done and these little like, yeah, areas you've dabbled in, as you said. But did it ever feel like starting over for you? Or did you did it just feel like hopping and you kept, you know, going up on some sort of ladder or the ladder of life? Yeah, what does it feel like? Or where do you feel like you're at in your career? I guess I never I never really had like a full year where I just like locked up my violin and put it in the closet and stopped playing. I'm curious actually I'll ask you guys, have you any of you ever had like a year where you just like completely stopped or maybe you had an injury and didn't play for like I had one injury once that I stopped playing for about three months, but mm-hmm. um, no, nothing. Yeah, I've had an injury yeah. and I stopped playing for like six months, but I was like 12 or 13. So mm-hmm. it's kind of different then. I think I was talking about that I've never really stopped playing altogether that I've always kind of kept violin sort of within arm's reach and kind of still always practiced even if I was working other jobs because it was always still something that I enjoyed doing and I was still wanted to improve and I I think it sort of comes back to that thing that playing violin is still work and in some sense I think I was feeling sort of just the resistance to playing and pursuing this career. It's this thing that I keep coming back to and that I feel the most, I guess, useful and the most, I guess, fulfillment in playing. 
that I didn't feel in doing all these other jobs or sort of interests. At this point in your life, and like this probably changes for everybody giving whatever, developing life circumstances or whatever. What do you hope to do with your music, your musical career? Because now you're not in Nashville anymore. So a lot of those, like the freelance scene for you is very different now than what it was. Yeah, so life kind of, it did take a little bit of a turn and I'm still sort of, maybe you could say I'm still in the middle of figuring things out. But a lot of it was when I finished my master's and realized, you know, I still really like playing classical music and I still want to give orchestra auditions a shot. I was starting to do the research and and realized that there wasn't a lot of great information online for helping violinists prepare for orchestra auditions. And so that was kind of the initiative that I started building violin excerpts uh, com, And then I, you know, branched out and started doing it for viola and cello and bass. And I've since have kind of combined and started doing it for uh, putting it all in one place and calling it orchestra excerpts.com. I started really enjoying doing this. And it was sort of a combination of all the interests that I've had over the years of building websites and doing sort of some photography and video editing. And so I was I started working on this kind of as a hobby and playing gigs on the side when I was in Nashville. Um, and then my wife got a, a job offer to teach at a college up in uh, Indiana. And so this was a, the perfect meeting of situations where it was a great job for her. And I was also starting to do this website work that was starting to, you know, earn some money and was, you know, location independent. So I could really do it from anywhere. And I always kind of have freelance and been able to pick up work here and there. So it was it was a time where I was like, okay, I'm going to try to take a step back and from just saying yes to every single gig and driving all over three states to try to make a hundred bucks or whatever. I'm going to kind of slow that part of my life down and see where the website work and, you know, making this podcast and all that stuff and where that goes. And so there is still a lot of important training and my practicing and studying excerpts and orchestral experience comes into play in helping me create the website and, and create these sort of like video lessons and and stuff. So I don't really see any of the various things that I've pursued as like wasting time or that they were years that I couldn't get back. And so I think it, it really has played a big part in combining interest into what I'm doing today. Now I um Okay, this might be slightly off topic, but since you've just moved, Michael, and I've just moved uh-huh. Anna, how long have you been in New York? Is this your, are you about to complete your second full third year? No, this is my third year. I'm in the midst of it. It's like You're two in and the a half. Midst. Okay. And Christian, you've now been there for just about 10 years. Oh, really? Wow. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Totally we're still, ridiculous. we're still in all, even though we talked about it. I know. Time. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I just like oh. can't understand that. Um, no, but I was recently talking to someone and he was asking me how, you know, like how the gigging was going and the freelancing. And, and I was like, you know, I don't know. Like some months are really great. And then some months are like, I got nothing on the calendar right now. Yeah. And he was saying that he's always been under the mindset that like it takes five years to get really established in the gig life and the music scene. And that like blew my mind because I've actually never lived in my adult life. I've never lived anywhere for five years. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I've never really experienced that. But Michael, you were in Nashville almost that long. Christian, you've been where you are. And so I was just wondering like what you guys think of that. You know, Michael, like you just moved there, like where you are now. You know, getting your name out there obviously takes time. But like, what do you guys think about that? Even when I was thinking about moving to Nashville, people said like, 
oh yeah, it, it takes at least two years before you'll you'll get your first gig or something. And I was like, what? I don't know about that. Um, but that that was sort of why I I started a master's program and started freelancing kind of the same time because I knew when I moved when I moved right away, I wasn't going to be getting gigs right away. So I might as well finish right. my master's degree and try to start building a network. I think there's definitely some things that you can shortcut a lot of that. Um, I don't know, waiting time to get called. Well, I also think being in school is, is a good way to like start the freelancing is when you're you move somewhere for school or like while you're in school. And if you continue those relationships, if you're staying in the same area afterwards. Oh, yeah. I yeah. Don't know, I mean, networking but... and getting to know people f- from being in school definitely helps. And that there were a lot of relationships that I built from being in school that kind of paid off later. But, yeah, I would, but so I would great... say the same thing. Like I started here in school and that definitely helped. Um, and I do think it did take a few years to really establish myself in the gig scene. But I also think that the gig scene is is kind of like riding your bike. Like you have to start out and you have to pedal really hard to gain some momentum. And mm-hmm. then you might have some downhill times when you can really just coast and, you know, gigs come and you don't have to work hard. But then there are a lot of like, you know, seasons where it's just straight highway and you just have to keep pedaling, not too hard, but like you just pedal, you keep networking, always put your name out there because I think gigging really is, it is something where you have to stay active. Like you can't just say like, okay, I've got, I know all my people and they'll just keep calling me. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. really work like that. Mm-hmm. Like you always have sure. to be yeah. awake. You always have to be, you know. But have you noticed a way, there. like has it changed for you at all from when you first moved there to now? At least maybe in the types of gigs you're doing, are you getting better gigs or is it kind of still all over the board like the freelancing is? It's definitely gotten better. Like I get better gigs and a lot of the ones I took at the beginning, you know, the, the type of gigs where they seek out students because they, right. they would pay them poorly <laughs> yeah. or it was just conditions that weren't so fun. Um, those I don't get called for anymore because usually, I mean, I just stopped uh, taking them. I always okay. turn them yeah. down and then they just don't call mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah. Uh, I think the more like your resume helps a little bit if you have some more credibility then they'll be like, oh, mm-hmm. clearly you've played with these people. Sure. Can you can you sub like today or whatever? And you're like, oh. Yeah, that happened right, actually right. last year or about a year and a half ago with a good chamber orchestra outside of Graz. Yeah, I had sent them a resume and uh, they said, thank you so much. Looks interesting. And then just a couple weeks later, they wrote me for a concert a couple months later. And I did that. They were really happy with how I played. And I've been back for almost every project since. Oh, wow. So, okay. Great. Yeah. And that that only happened because yeah. their uh, principal violist was injured and had to have surgery and couldn't play. Oh, and so, oh dear. But it was, yeah, the door was open and the resume worked. And then, yeah. I have one a little more gruesome, a little more morose, if you will. <laughs> Literally Uh-oh. one of my first gigs that I got in Nashville, I got uh, touring with uh, country music legend uh, Ray Price, if he's like Frank Sinatra of country music. <clears throat> and he, actually re- he recently passed away a couple years ago. Um, but I got the gig because the last viola player died. Ooh. Ooh. Wow. You know, there, there's always sort of, you know, dark jokes about, uh, you know, musicians dying in their chairs and stuff. and or like mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going to say that's very reminiscent <laughs> of like when I was in college and like going to the symphony and would be like that person's got to retire soon like look how how white their hair is or like 
that person can barely yeah. move their bow fast enough yeah. for this. And you would like go to the big symphonies, be like, they're going to have to have auditions right, soon. Because that and guy's like, not, he's like, not going to make so it to the sad, spring. But like, that's basically what we did. Yeah. And that actually happened to me. So, yeah. Mm. Oh, wow. That's the story. The story is actually a little bit darker than that, but I won't go there. <laughs> I know. So, this yeah. is a happy, yeah. this we're, is a we're happy gonna try keep things. <laughs> Well, positive, but I don't know. I think we've covered quite a lot of topics there. I hope that I uh, gave a little bit of a little more colorful background on who we are and at least who I am. And uh, the next couple episodes, we're going to get to kind of more your stories. Woo-hoo. Looking forward to that. Going to be good. So uh, that was, yeah. And I guess in summary, I think there was a lot of it's okay to pursue curiosities, things that are interesting to you. Um, I think one of the big things I learned was like, you can't steer a parked car. Like when you're, if you're doing nothing and just have, you know, all these decisions about, should I do this? Should I do that? It's hard to know if you're going to like it. Um, just if you've never tried it. And so I think once you get out there and do it for a little while, you'll see, you know, this isn't really what I thought it was going to be like. And, uh, actually, you know, you'll, you'll discover that you miss doing something else. And so, you know, music was kind of always still there as an option for me. And it was always something I kept coming back to. I think it's, uh, it, it was it, enriching whatever you decide to do and it'll give you kind of some more experience and you'll be able to relate to other people if you try other things. And so there's no real harm in that. That's my little moral of the story. I think good stuff. All right. Well, I think that's enough for today. I've been Michael O'Giblin. I'm Anna Luce. I'm Jessica Weirdma. And I'm Christian Marshall. Well, that's our show, folks. If you'd like to see all the points from our conversations, including links to things we mentioned, you can find them in the show notes online at www.perservice.co forward slash four like the number and that's no spaces it's p-e-r-s-e-r-v-i-c-e dot c-o slash four like the number and if you like what you heard please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review or rating in itunes it won't take you very long and it would just mean a lot to us because it helps other musicians find our podcast and we want to hear from you What have you learned from exploring other interests? And did you stay there or did you come back to music eventually? Tell us in the comments again at perservice.co forward slash four. Or do you have a question you'd like to ask us? You can use the SpeakPipe widget on the show notes page to record just a little message for us again at perservice.co forward slash four. Well, thanks again for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. Be well and practice well. Bad about Michael. He's recording. I've been waiting three months for the rent. Where is it? (laughs) Michael, you owe me $4 million. He's from Long Island in Winona Lake, Indiana. (laughs) Michael.